Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing, recorded generally at the PW offices in New York City. I think, uh, what, Heidi and Kater are at, at the PW Hi. offices. Hello. Hi We're there. I, I'm at a remote location on the Lower East Side. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, uh, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic, PW's new comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us all out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can check us out on social media on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons, the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. Don't forget... Don't forget you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at Facebook, we're at pw, uh, slash comicsworld, uh, dot com. And so, don't, don't yes, forget, sorry. leave sorry. us a message, write yes. us a note, leave us a rating on YouTube. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line, let us know how we're doing, otherwise we won't know, know how to do any better. Yes, yes. Are we please. on YouTube? Speak to us. I meant iTunes, but you know we're around. We're yes, around. Our timing's a little off here, but we'll yeah. we'll get it back. Yeah. We've it's been hard. Away. Usually we look at each other and give each other like yes. seven, four signs of what to say, and this time we're, it's not gelling, people. I'm sorry. So you, can, <laughs> yeah, you, you know when you 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 just uh, you know remove one ingredient in the the marvelous stew. Sometimes the yeah, stew exactly. isn't quite as effective. We got to get back into the kitchen. So yes, yeah, indeed. But. <laughs> This week on More to Come, oh, yeah, yeah. the San Diego Comic-Con recap. What's next at, for DC? Uh, is Hollywood abandoning Comic-Con? And a comics-packed PW Star Watch uh, this year. So, uh, San Diego Comic-Con 2019, 50th version. Yes. <laughs> um, well, everybody seems to have... Um been well i shouldn't say underwhelmed as i said my piece for for the beat i said it was i think people got a little whelmed this year you know it wasn't it was uh there's quite a few areas where i think the con is calming down yeah i mean it's all relative folks um i i i definitely get it i heard that myself from people that uh there did seem to see a lower level of energy but you know we're still talking about a mega event here yeah kate what did you think from your uh, spot from afar. Did you pay any attention to what was happening at the con? Or, well, I have to say, um, nothing really jumped out at me as like a, oh my god, huge reveal! Ah! <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, that's cool. The only thing that was like interesting was the Marvel slate, which had some things I wasn't expecting on it. Um, interestingly, didn't have Black Panther, but I think that's just because. They're just trying to make figure out how to make that schedule. Well, they already work. knew. You know, we already knew that was coming. They, not, knew it was they coming. wanted to nail. They just down. wanted to nail yeah. down stuff that we hadn't heard yeah. of before. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, I mean, stuff came out over the con. I'm not saying nothing did, but nothing like jumped out and knocked your socks you off. You were whelmed. You were whelmed. <laughs> yeah, I was. I mean, true, I wasn't there. So it's all very different when you're not there. Yeah, but you know, you but can there be... have been years where, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to be talking about at this wrap-up. And this year, I was sitting on my computer going, do, 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 do. <laughs> I guess we could talk about this. Well, I'll tell you, the one thing that people were talking about was DC Comics. Yes. Uh, that, that's true. Boy, um, and, and not in nice, uh, necessarily nice ways either. Um, oh, what were they saying, Calvin? Well, I mean, Ty, I think Heidi gave a really good um, 
breakdown of some of the problems. Uh, the, I mean, look, the core problem is that uh, DC Comics left uh, a, a, a what was the centerpiece of the floor. Uh, they, they everything was kind of art, uh, organized around DC Comics. Uh, it was a hub of activity of artists and fans. Always a whirlwind. Um, and uh, I think as Heidi pointed out, really easy to to connect uh, either with other fans, with DC people, and and most importantly with the artists. Mm-hmm. That has changed dramatically, and yes. um, I'm, I'm going to let. Uh, I mean, Heidi well, wrote a very detailed and interesting, and know, I also was over there. Also, right. Well, the bottom line is, as I've been telling people for months ever since they announced it in November, is that um, Warner Brothers, which has been acquired by AT and T, as we've mentioned several times here on this podcast. Uh, is now Warner Media, and they took that prime location in the the center of Comics Town, and they merged the DC booth with the Warner Media booth over in Studio Town, and they enlarged it. It's one of the but nobody I, cares about Warner Media. I know, right? Well, people do. <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't say that. that but yeah. I I actually have. Oh, I didn't bring it with me. I actually snagged uh, the schedule, and you know, like they had signings with the Riverdale cast, and signings yeah. with the Black Lightning cast, and you know, signings with with celebrities and these were ticketed events you have to go online and they also had signings with like the batman team with scott snyder and greg capullo and then with tom king and mr ads and these were also ticketed uh events but just the whole layout i mean i did write about it in my piece you could find that up on the beat um but it it, you know it it was you could just walk in and find someone it was like the opposite of but i you know i didn't put this in my piece but um it's very much like how um, the booths for the studios are run. You know, back in the day, I was writing a piece for the New York Post, like maybe 10 years ago. And, uh, they were like, you know, write about, it was a side gig I had. So I went to all these media booths and I said, Oh, do you have anybody here from PR? And usually I was snubbed as I was at the DC booth, um, with like, no, we don't. And there was one person at the Lionsgate booth who said, oh, a reporter is here. I will talk to them. And that mm. person came out. And I didn't know this, but two years later, I ended up working with that person, Eric. Oh, yeah. So we did a uh-huh. line of comics together. So, you know, <laughs> it was like the one friendly person at the whole thing. And, you know, there was a lot of very unfriendly security guards at the Warner Brothers booth, the protecting Jughead. So, <laughs> yeah, it the vibe is completely different. Um, uh, I, I, I mean, the most disturbing thing to me, uh, I perceived, uh, and I admit to a bias, that comics have really been kind of shoved to the side. It's very difficult. Now, there were times when those mammoth video screens did show off the books, mm-hmm. but I spent some time around there at one point where it was nothing but TV, TV shows and movies from morning. Well, our, uh, com- colleague Rob Selkowitz, you know, a frequent yes. contributor to PW has a pretty freaky, devastating piece up on Forbes. Uh, called what's ATD strategy re DC? Do they even really want DC? And he kind of puts the pieces together in a you know in a way that is it's pretty bad. <laughs> well, he breaks it down very clearly. Uh, I mean, among some a lot of the suspicions that people have been been talking about that ATT doesn't know or care anything about comics publishing, uh, that it's some sort of lifestyle brand to them. Uh, and yes, they've turned the, the lively, intri- uh, 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 engaging DC booth now into kind of this media fortress. Um, you know, I, I did get in, uh, cause I interviewed Frank Miller and John Romita there. And, um, it, I have, my story was a little interesting too. It was resolved. 
um, <laughs> people, I would go to one of these security cards and, uh, and I'd say, look, I'm here to interview Frank Miller. And he says, <laughs> right, well, you Frank. need to go to, well, you know what he would say? Well, the first time it happened to me, he said, well, you need to go to the DC booth. Now he's saying this standing in front of this mixed booth with a right. massive DC uh-huh. logo right behind his head, framing his entire body. So I really did. I just reached my arm up and I pointed behind him. And he turned around. And so then he kind of became a little less stiff, mm-hmm. uh, since, you know, it's a mammoth sign of DC behind him. Uh-huh. So he said, and so then he finally said, okay, uh, really you have to go down a little ways and there's another stairway. And then he, he, he gave me directions and blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> directions. so what? There's but, another booth? Well, you need directions stuff. because it's really a different vibe in there, folks. I mean, it's not like you walk into a world of D.C. artists. What you do is you walk into this weird uh, security-minded uh, video studio booth where, where cameras and video screens all around everything. It's very difficult to sort of – really get in front of the art. I, I, it was just not a good look. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? Albeit sounds like on a much larger scale. The DC booth at New York Comic Con, which for the last few years has basically been an exhibit space yeah. with this little yeah, cordoned off professionals only area. Yeah, yeah but it's sort of, but if you go, at least if you go to that area, you'll see the people who work at DC. Like if you yes, know them, you'll yes, see them. And it's all you'll DC. See, you'll well, see most people of them just... are in a little black box, and occasionally they'll pop their heads out. Oh, that's not true. There's a lot of freelancers who just hang around in the booth. If you just go yeah. down, I mean, it might be just, you know, I know a lot of people. So when I go down there, I see people I know, you know, and you, yeah. but, but you know, listen, I, I, I should throw in there that one thing that DC did do was they had this huge, uh, party exhibit fundraiser at the Comic Con Museum in Balboa Park. Oh, that's true. that was and that's a big I, deal. Mm-hmm. Right. I was invited to that. Uh, you know, big thanks to the DC folks. I, you know, listen, I, I, I don't want to. It, it's hard when people are in a job that's changing, especially in the public eye, and you know, people are are moaning about it. And you know, I want to point out that everybody who actually works at DC Comics has been, you know, is really gracious and helpful, and yes, you know, uh, really awesome to work with as always, and. um this is not a dig at DC no, employees. No, no, it's not a dig at them at all. It's just, no. you know, big corporate planning sometimes yeah. catches people up in it. But anyway. The, and, the it's all, of- and it's also veteran con people also sort of really reacting uncomfortably to, uh, I think, a radical change. Yes. But it has nothing to do with the people because, once again, I interviewed Gene Yang there, Frank, um, somebody else. And okay. once I got my stairway straight. Right. Uh, people were very cool and uh, very accommodating to him. And he's riding a stairway. <laughs> well, now, there is something similar. I mean, even in the old booth, when you did your interviews, they had an upstairs space yes. and a stairway. Uh, it was just it was just one stairway. It was very easy. The people knew you. It was just a different vibe. Well, you and, know, I have a little, here's a little gossipy tidbit that I didn't didn't make it into my report up on the beat but you know dc used to have a green room on the secret green room level the mezzanine Uh where uh it's very hard to get to you need a wristband to go there and um i've only ever been there by accident but anyway they did not have their green room this year either and uh so they set up at roy's (laughs) oh really larry's luau they had a private room at roy's and then every night they would have a cocktail party at roy's and you know that's um a little different look for them, and yeah. uh, you know, I well, they, they didn't do their times. 
They didn't do their early morning uh, press conference. No, they didn't do their breakfast. But, you know, Uh, I want to say the reason why they – just to get back to the museum, because this was a really lavish and spectacular event, okay? So, you know, it's obvious that, you know, Warner Media, when they want to put their money behind something, uh, can. And this exhibit was sponsored by AT&T. I wonder who they are. And um, it had some rides that were really spectacular. I didn't get to do it, but I heard there was one where you put on the VR helmet, and then it was like you were Batman, and you jumped off a building and were gliding over Gotham. And uh, there was another car car one. Uh, Some people made videos of that. And the party itself uh, was very impressive. Uh, Batman got inducted to the Hall of Fame. Um, The mayor of San Diego came out and spoke. Uh, Pam Lifford who is the overlord of uh, consumer products and branding at Warner Brothers, came out and spoke. Dan DiDio and Jim Lee were there. Todd McFarlane was there. Uh, spotted many DC Comics luminaries uh, hobnobbing in the cocktail hour. And, you know, I said, oh, it's, it's a fundraiser for the museum, which is uh, mm-hmm. slated to open maybe in two years. So um, I'm like, oh, a, a fundraiser with people in fancy garb and Batman is there. You know, all that we're yeah. missing is for the Riddler to invade. So. <laughs> is this the Balboa Park? Uh, yes, yes, event? the Balboa yes. Park, yes. So, right, yeah. um, I you know, off, and I should say, just as another salute to the, the DCPR people, they actually offered to get me into the exhibit. That said, I think it get me around the lines. I just didn't wasn't able to arrange my schedule to get out there. Yeah, it was hard to get out to Balboa Park, but if you did, you were really impressed. Yeah. Had yeah. Displays of movie props, um, you know, costumes. It was really mm-hmm. quite impressive, and and the space itself is really amazing. And once that gets up and running, um, you know, it's really going to add another level to Comic Con. So yeah, great. Uh, so, but you know, just you know, Rob wrote this this piece that is, um, you know, we've speculated on this podcast many times over the years about what would happen if, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I'm not saying the nuclear option is being pressed, but. Um, it's interesting. Well, yeah. Heidi, unpack what you just said there. What would happen and if the – what would happen and if what, Heidi? Well, you know, I think the two nuclear options we've always talked about for Marvel and DC is either going digital only or licensing out all their books. And I mm. think both of them uh, – you know, digital seems to have faded, so that nuclear option seems to no longer be there. Um, we see Marvel is licensing out their kids' books. You know, they're already licensing out part of their line, but their uh, yeah. publishing is pretty strong. Um, you know, we might see DC licensing out all their books. You know, mm-hmm. that might be what it is. Shut down, shut her down, and just uh, make some licensing money. Oh. Or, 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 you know, I mean, I think one of the things that uh, Rob talked about is uh, a complete focus on the book trade. Uh, we, uh, apparently, we in our kids' coverage, uh-huh. um, in PW's kids' coverage of, of, uh, of the uh, show, they talk quite a bit about that DC spent a lot of time explaining to people what the hell was going on with eliminating uh, DC Inc. and DC Zoom, right. uh, like less than a year after they announced them to create these new labels. Um, there was much confusion, uh, no doubt, among librarians and other people who thought that this also means that books were being canceled. Though DC says no. Mm-hmm. So um, they are clearly going to hang with the book side of it. But really, it does look uh, like this is a parent company that has no idea why they're owning this particular Yeah, company. and, you know, listen, if I was just adding up chits on a ledger, I'd think the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So as Rob also points out in his piece, comics are a $1.1 billion industry, which is Cheetos, P.S. Yes, just like their money for the – the parent companies of these things. Okay. Uh, so yes, I just wonder if they want to spin it off. Like part of me is like, if you don't want this, don't kill it. 
<laughs> well, they want they want some, but they don't like to run it. That's for sure. It's interesting. I, I thought Rob pointed out something very interesting when he talked about actually the DC is very strong in marketable trademarks. Uh, the, they have a, a a range of insignia, starting with the Superman S and the back signal, that are really almost universally recognized. That's true. And they can kind of plaster on everything. Mm, so, yeah. in fact, he said that you was one of the strongest, to... uh, you know, uh, strengths against uh, Marvel. Yeah, I think I think that DC has a visual style that tends to be more distinctive per character. Marvel characters, with a few notable exceptions, tend to not have iconic costumes. Well, they swap them around. It's what decade is it? You can tell by the costume. Yeah, you know, back in the 90s, the early 90s, there was a Disney store and there was a Warner Brothers store. And yeah. uh, the Disney stuff was, um, you know, it was very obvious which characters were beautifully designed. Uh, the Disney characters were way better designed because they had animators and designers designing them. Um, and DC characters really have only been done well once. So that was by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. We did the style guide in back in the eighties, which is still used to this day. Yeah. So, but, but they, they do have better insignias. Absolutely. Well, no, but I'm, I'm not comparing DC comics to Disney characters. I'm comparing DC comic book characters to Marvel comic book right. characters in their comic book incarnation. Right, right, right. I, and, yeah. Not even just the insignias, but also the costumes tend to be more visually distinctive per character. Absolutely. You will not mistake one DC character for another DC character of a different type. Like, you may mistake one Flash for another Flash, but you won't mistake a Flash for Shazam. That's correct. That is correct. Even yeah, if yeah. there are lightning bolts, you will not yeah. mistake them for each other. Well, look, Whereas Rob's point in, was dope. Paul point was about the insignia in particular for for circulating I mean, through marketing means, but yeah, but but Kate's but absolutely right. I just meant that like it, the, all of it lends itself more to marketing because yeah. if you have a very distinct look, it's much easier to sell stuff for it because everybody knows what they're looking at. That's part of what makes it hard to market a lot of X Men crap <laughs> because, sure. with a couple very notable exceptions. It's kind of generic costume wise. It's, I mean, you got the X and then you've also got the X. Yeah. Those and are I mean, your choices. And a lot of them are, uh, from that kind of imagey Jim Lee era stuff that was, you know, I love Jim, but he's not a great costume designer. <laughs> and even the other stuff, again, you can tell, you can literally tell what decade it is by looking at the costumes uh -huh. for most of these characters. And so it's just not very memorable. It's not very marketable. Right. And DC, just that is marketable and that is well, a strength. Well, the one thing that uh, Rob also points out in his piece is that uh, they really, despite pulling back in the comics, they were really all in on DC Universe and, you know, the streaming shows and, and yeah. all of that stuff. So, you know, as, as war, you know, HBO Max is launching, Warner's is launching its own streaming service to compete with Disney Plus, And obviously these will be key chips in, in that service, you know, so. I'm, I'm saying it right now. I'm going to place my bets. I think that it's going to follow the same role, the same model 
as uh, Crunchyroll and Crunchyroll's umbrella service. That like, yeah, you can get Crunchyroll, or you can pay two more dollars and you can get all these extra channels. Right. I think mm-hmm. that's what. Yeah. I, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think that's what DC's going to do. Probably they're going to have they're going to have you can have the full like Warner Plus, or you can just have DC Universe, or you can just have HBO Max. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, on that note, um, you had, you, you wrote a bit about is, are the Hollywood studios abandoning Comic Con? There was a different vibe there as well. I year. did. I did. Well, I mean, um, I think this was noticed by most people. If you compare yeah. it, after I was reading a bunch of my yearly reports, I think 2010 was peak Comic Con. That was the year of mm-hmm. the Scott Pilgrim experience. That was also the year yeah. of the Hall H stabbing. So, uh, you know, it was right during the the heyday of Twilight and, uh, you know, the Wired Cafe. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was the, the biggest year. Uh, I think things kind of reached a crescendo there. And this year, not as many movie studios. You know, Marvel came to Hall H, blew everybody away. But uh, there was, a, you know, everybody's like, oh, our product isn't ready. But, you know, I, I, I think there were fewer activations. There definitely were fewer um, impressive offsites. HBO barely had it. You know, they had this Watchmen offsite that was really lame. There was no Wired Cafe at all. Um, which was like, what? I mean, the parties were far fewer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was definitely kind of a, um, you know, Hollywood has, I think Hollywood's just, I think there's, there's several reasons. One of them is that Hollywood, uh, is, is, has no need of the social media opprobrium that comes, uh, from going to San Diego. And you know, Hall, uh, Game of Thrones, the poor people from, you know, poor Nicholas Costas Waldau. I wish I was there to comfort him. You know, uh, <laughs> like they tried to do a victory lap and instead it was people booing. People booed them. No, they cooked because they, they yeah, don't like the they, ending. Yeah, I, I mean, I could really. They didn't write the ending. They're actors. I know. And you know yeah, what? Two entitled like fans, fans wouldn't fans. have liked it no matter <laughs> well, what no, I mean, happened. Okay, let me put it this way. You think there could have been endings that would have gotten people a lot less mad. Yes, that's There true. would have been someone somewhere who was mad, but probably most of those people would have <laughs> yeah, been well, happy I'll, with a mediocre ending. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The ending with Danny was plant, planted the whole – that was the whole point of the show. The, but it was the execution, I yes, think. Yes, yes. It's oh, not so yeah. much that people necessarily objected to going bad as the execution of it. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, people are like, oh, I can't believe Benioff and Weiss didn't come. It's like, well, I can. I can believe they didn't go. Why? Why would they? You ruined it. You ruined it for them for all times. They'll never be back. So, Well, but they kind of did ruined it for the system. But anyway, you know, Darling. I mean, well, but, but let's, but I want to unpack something. Sure. Go ahead. If, if now you're saying Hollywood's a um, abandoning Comic Con, but earlier you were saying that it really wasn't much about comics either. So what was it about? Well, it was about it was about both of those things. It just wasn't at the same levels that it was. And you know, there was another point that I wanted to so bring. What up, was bring up, filling in the gap? Well, I mean, that's the the, the collectibles and the exclusives. But I want oh, to go dear. back before I, I I haven't finished with my first point because I said there was something else that I think has led to Hollywood leaving, and that is local greed. You know, people who I, I found out a lot about the locals this time. And, you know, there's like, like, if you want to rent out your storefront that you, I don't know if there's a list or how they do it, but they you know, people volunteer to rent out their storefronts for our activations during the con. And, uh, you know, I have a couple of local, uh, business people who I've become friends with over the years and they were both like, oh, you know, I think about it, but then I don't do it. And, uh, anecdotally, 
you know, the prices on these have gone sky high now. Hey, look, I don't blame them. If yeah. you think that you got the studio windfall, you're going to go for it. But I think studios have you said. You can outprice yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing is, you know, they want $75,000 yeah, for like too much. Uh, not yeah, a, get a day and they're not going to get that. So, yeah. um, so I think that's another reason why the activations, um, were far fewer and, and, you know, uh, just, just less whelming, just totally less whelming this time. So, and to Kate, to answer your question, it's all about collectibles now. It's all about Funko Pops. It's all about, I mean, people go there. I, I'm telling you right now, Funko Pops are a bubble. The bubble's going to burst. Yep. We've well, all, they all burst eventually, yeah. They, we've all been saying that, and people love those things. I don't get it. Um, so, uh, you know, but, Calvin, you had your panel with uh, with um, new publishers, and you wrote yeah. your own piece uh, for um, for Publishers Weekly, a really good wrap-up, and you're talking about the next 50 years of comics publishing. I mean, what time yeah. did you see? Yeah, well, you know, this was it. Just seemed the, the the theme sort of come came out of obviously this was a significant year in the history of San Diego Comic Con International. The fiftieth edition uh, really marked. Uh, I mean, you did a great pre San Diego uh, San Diego preview that looked at the history of the con and how it developed from you know a, a small gathering of about three hundred people in nineteen. 19- 70 to the mammoth, you know, stage that it is today. And, but I thought that also marked that, you know, there are new publishing currents. Uh, uh, I, we were able to look back again, uh, to look at the anniversary of Friends of Lulu, 25 years or so. Uh, there seemed to be <laughs> yeah. some dispute about the date, but. I know, you know that's what? funny that we forgot until we were up there. Sounds, uh, oh. I thought that was it. I thought that was just a significant and delightful panel. Uh, Heidi among them, one of the co-founders. Uh, you're, you're all a bunch of visionaries, uh, and, uh, and fighters, uh, who went out and did something about, uh, I think as, um, Trina Robbins described it in an era that was openly hostile to uh, women and girls in the comics business. So, um, I use that, your panel, as well as the two pan- the panels you, or one of the panels you organized, of course, the new publishers, new p- panels that had this great, you know, um, <clears throat> A great group of new businesses showing that uh, different people coming up with new business models, uh, new ways of publishing, and uh, in some ways publishing in reaction to how things have been done in the past. We have TKO Studios. I mean, people that we've talked about on the show already. Um, right. uh, in particular, Ted Adams there, uh, an older, obviously a very successful publisher who's starting out again um, as an entrepreneur. And then really startups, uh, real startups like um, – Liz Francis at Street Noise Books, um, uh, who's worked in the book trade for years, but is launching uh, uh, a line of books aimed at uh, specifically at um, uh, the LGBT community and doing graphic memoir. So, uh, uh, and we had a Black Comics panel uh, that was organized that had David Walker on it, Ezra Clayton uh, Daniels. Uh, also, really looking at how different communities who perhaps weren't uh, as well represented in the past will absolutely be better represented in the future. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's just, it's just a time of transition. And it's like I said in my piece, it's like, you know, every year somebody says, wow, this Comic-Con was weird. You know what? This one really was because we're really seeing this change. And uh, a couple of news items that uh, came up at the show, uh, one of them – Pretty small, but uh, Calvin, you got to report on both. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But IDW. Um, it, it's small, but really a, a, an outstanding list of books. Uh, Peter Moreska's uh, Sunday Press books. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, he does archival. Uh, uh, really, he he he, uh, he recreates these uh, in hardcover uh, editions 
of classic broadsheet newspaper strips. I mean, he did, uh, he's done Little Nemo. Uh, he's done, a, he's got probably about a, a backlist of about 17 titles. These are oversized, beautifully, um, retouched, uh, to, to bring back the golden age of American cartooning. And he's re-releases them in new editions. So IDW has acquired them. He's going to be able to like focus on editorial, acquiring new works. IDW will take care of the marketing and distribution. In particular, he, as he told me, he's always had problems getting into the library market, which which is clearly where his book should be, oh. besides collectors. Uh, and they're going to help him with that. So right, uh, right. Yeah. And you know, it's nice to see IDW um, adding. You know, they do the Library of American Comics. I mean, yes, they, have, they have great comics. expertise. Yeah, they do. Um, so the other news item was one that I've been uh, alluding to for a while here, and that was that uh, Nielsen book, uh, you know, Nielsen, okay. uh, mm. which does BookScan, uh, has teamed up with Comic Hub, which is a new, um, like, POS sales ordering system software that uh, for comic shops, and they will be giving us some sell-through for comic shops. Oh, yeah, I mean, this is revolutionary, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's only seventy to you know it's only a few shops right now, but we don't yeah. have anything. We have no sell through, and I've said I've been saying this for the last couple of years. This is the big change when people yeah. start getting sell through numbers at comic shops. This is what is going to completely uh, reset the industry. What do you this think will happen when they do? People will well, see what's is, really selling to people, and people will really know what they're selling. And also, you know, this is a really a live inventory and POS system. So this will allow publishers to see. What you have ordered and what you what you have sold, as well as the retails to see it, um, and you can do marketing within it. I mean, this is really kind of a the game changer uh, that uh, we think about in terms of getting actual sell through data. In other words, what consumers buy, not what the stores buy for inventory, uh, as happens in the rest of the book trade. Right, and um, yeah, it's it's very very significant. And like I said, it's starting out very small. But I, I and then some people are like, oh, it's only seventy stores. I'm like, what? You know what? It's a number. It yeah, doesn't matter. We it have is. no numbers for that now. And, and I think it's going to grow. It doesn't cost that much. It's four uh, right? four hundred dollars, I think, for the installation, and then you pay uh, one hundred and fifty dollars a month or something like that. Yeah, and the, there's the, a monthly the, service fee. The comic shops that are using it right now are the, a lot of the very forward-looking ones, like um, Big Bang and Dublin and yes. uh, the Dragon's Lair and Guelph. Uh, you know, Jen Haynes. Is Midtown doing great it? stores. Uh, mm-hmm. No, they are uh, not what I would call one of the big forward-looking really? stores. Well, they're huge. They're a huge store. I mean, they're like something like 10% of the market. I mean, it's insane. Really? Midtown, I mean, I, 10%, I made that up. But they are the biggest single customer for Diamond. And, uh, you know, I Midtown has, yeah, Midtown has its own oh, Midtown, soft, yeah. Yeah, software that they use. They have their own. So they already have something in place. They already have their own proprietary. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it will but be I thought that I was, well, that makes them more forward looking. Yes. Yes. yes uh, well, yeah. I, well, I yes was, and no, because having proprietary systems creates problems. Right. But, but I mean, we'll they have had one all along yeah. when nobody else had one. It's good for them. It's not necessarily good for the yeah. entire, uh, I mean, I'd say Midtown is very successful, very successful business. And, you know, I mean, no offense to the Midtown guys, but I mean, they really are, are more focused on the traditional collector, you know, the consumer collector, very, you know, variants, all that sort of stuff. I Mm. mean, they do their own variants and, 
you know, I, I mean, I'm not saying by, by not calling them progressive, I'm not putting them down. They're huge and they're very successful. Yes. They do very well. I'm just saying they're not what I would call something like, you know, Janet the Dragon's Lair that works with libraries and, you know, yeah, has they're... really made, you know, that part of her business plan. Mm. Well, that yeah, is, this system yeah. is really going to um, bring the entire direct market into sharper focus about who's buying what where. And I also think that will it, it will I think it will also help the book format in it as well. Uh, now, um, can so, I talk a little bit about the podcasting people I've yes. mentioned? Okay. Um, and as always, dear listeners, uh, we spend uh, a fair amount of time chasing down, um, you know, the, the, well, the comics artists, the publishers, the artists, the writers that are at San Diego every year, and we got a few this year as well. Um, uh, among them, you've heard me mention a few already. I mean, I got um, – I talked with Frank Miller and John Romita about the new uh, Superman Year One, which I actually – I'm I'm kind of impressed with. I don't know whether any of you have, have had a chance to read it, but uh, maybe we can talk about it on the show another time. But um, uh, it was actually quite a delight. Uh, Frank, actually, it was great to talk to him. Um, he was very lively and very clear, and, uh, you know, he's had these health issues, but um, – he seemed right on top of everything. It was He's great to looking, talk. He he looks better every time every year. Yes, see, he really had some very severe health issues. So it's good to hear he's doing better and better. It, it was an absolute delight uh, to talk with him and John Ramuda. My first time talking with him, and I'm a fan going back a few years. So in any event, uh, uh, Mark and Draco, I talked with him, who also does Supergirl. Uh, he had an, it's got an inter- interesting story arc now about you know the, the destruction of Krypton. Uh, the fabulous Gene Yang, who's doing Superman Crushes the Clan, very interesting look at uh, the early radio broadcasts of Superman, which actually were many of the things that we associate with him now and his powers actually came out of the radio show before the comic shop, and uh, one of them was flying and whatnot. And this radio, he he's taken the adapted these radio scripts. Uh, and created a contemporary tale because they included one about a Chinese American family um, in Metropolis. So, very interesting. Yeah, uh, and I, there's more yeah, to it than just that. Um, mm-hmm. Listeners, you may have heard reference to this in a completely different context um, when you're reading a political article, when you're reading something historical, speaking about the Ku Klux Klan. Um, one of Superman's proudest moments as a property was that a storyline being adapted here in this is otherwise known as Superman versus the Clan, which was the first like really mainstream media thing to look down on uh, the Ku Klux Klan, not as a civic-minded organization or even as slightly misguided but well-intentioned folks, but instead as, you know, Hateful bigots <laughs> yeah, who yeah, okay, are right. villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> who no, absolutely, right. absolutely is just plain old against. These radio programs really did turn the public against the Klan. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, apparently, according to some experts, they think that that was really, really a big turning point in mm-hmm. the the uh, downfall of the Klan. So yeah. it's great that it's being adapted into comic form. Yeah. So check it. The MVR Gene actually talks about just that. I also had a great uh, conversation with Lila Sturgis and Lev Grossman, uh, the novelist, the fantasy novelist, uh, and they talked a bit about adapting his acclaimed best-selling um, graphic novels trilogy, The Magicians, uh, into a graphic novel. 
Um, we talked about that. Andy Diggle and, and uh, Sean Martinbrewer were teaming up uh, for a sequel to uh, Promethee, this French graphic novel uh, science fiction epic, and they're part of Comics Alley Originals, and, uh, which also released a new slate of, of comics this year. So, And then I think, Heidi, you did um, – I, uh, I, I had a couple, yeah. you know yeah. – Cal- Calvin got all the good ones, but uh, I talked to a couple. Pe- no, I, I mine were the best. No, <laughs> yeah. uh, I talked. Well, to, this is uh, an interesting this subscription service. From, yeah, I talked to Stephen at uh, Ponet Mon, uh, a longtime publisher of manga, and uh, you know, quite a character. We'll put yep. that that way. And I also talked to some of the folks behind Inky Pen, which is yet another digital comic startup, and mm-hmm. um, you know, of which. There are apparently several. Um, I, I would give one, uh, you know how I often say things in the podcast that I wouldn't put in quote print unquote. So I will, will give one word of advice to people out there who are starting up their own Netflix of comics, which is apparently there's about 10 of them. Everybody wants a Netflix Everybody. of comics, and but no like, one has Netflix's it, back catalog. If you're out and about, uh, you should, uh, you know, socializing at a party, you should stop your pitch at a certain point because that is how <laughs> people want to go to be pitched about the your Netflix of comics. So, yes, I think uh, pro- yeah. Thank, uh, that's a, a pro tip. Food. A pro tip from Heidi. Maybe have business cards. <laughs> yes. Well, the folks from Inky Pen did, by the way. They were set up with the uh, Ponet Mon folks and had business cards. Yes. And, um, you know, they are uh, they were launched on the Switch and they're moving to some other platforms. Yes. So, you know, hey, listen, the more the merrier. Maybe one of these things is going to break out one of these days. Yeah, I know. think it's actually pretty smart of them yeah. to start on one platform, make sure they get it right, work out the kinks on that, pick a platform nobody else is on. And then move from there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, oh, so one more thing uh, from uh, San Diego 2019 was uh, that we celebrated the Beats' fifteenth uh, anniversary. Yes, absolutely. It was a big gala party, and uh, it was really great. I mean, the turnout. I was so thrilled to have so many people come out of the party, and apparently, it went really well. Everybody had a good time. It was an awesome party. Congratulations to Heidi and the Beat. It was a great uh, news uh, culture blog and a great party. Oh, thank you, Calvin. Yeah, I was, was really glad awesome. that you and Jody could make it. And, um, yeah, thank you. As I say, thank you to the folks at Polarity who, uh, yes. you know, had the credit card. So, always good. <laughs> yeah, no, but great yeah, rooftop party people. Yeah, yes. so, you know, despite despite some of these kind of little setbacky things, Calvin, are, are you looking forward to San Diego next year? Well, you know, I, 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 I am looking forward to San Diego. I mean, um, Comic-Con is not the way it used to be. I, 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 I do get a little – I get more stressed when I think of it a little bit now because uh, <laughs> I have to prepare for it. I wasn't – I wasn't – I'm not the eager beaver I used to be. But you know what? If I couldn't go, I would really go nuts. Yeah, well, um, if you think you're stressed out, try throwing a party for 200 of your closest <laughs> friends on top of everything. No doubt. Well, I'll you know you. what? I'll the show stress you stress. Works. I'll show you stress. <laughs> well, yeah, you, well, your part, for the rest of us, it was a de-stressor because it was great to hang out there with a, at, a, at an open bar and, and, and cheer on uh, Heidi. But, yeah. yes, I I look forward to it. Um, uh, you know, you know, yes, it's exhausting. But also, it's incredibly – it's just an unforgettable experience every time we go. So Kate, I can't wait to go back. Kate, would have you ever – do you want to go someday or what's your take on it? Well, part of the urge that I had many years ago has – the edge has been taken off by the growth of New York Comic Con. You know, it's so big and so good and right here. And because I'm the booth runner, like I'm very, very, very involved in it. Um 
So that takes the edge off a little bit. And plus, unlike your own good selves, uh, Publishers Weekly will not pay for me to go. Yeah, but I, I mean in the abstract, you know. In the abstract, it's kind of a next year in Jerusalem kind of thing. <laughs> At some point in my life, I would like to go. But maybe yeah, just we'll have to get Kate to San Diego sometime. Uh, Kate, we have to figure some totally, way to do it. Kate, you should totally – I will say – don't miss out on going at least once. Just oh, because I, I want to go, so go once. I feel like yeah. I want to go once to see what it was like. I mean, yeah. I, I like Dragon Con. Um, if you guys, <laughs> listeners, listeners, if you haven't been to Dragon Con, at some point <laughs> in your life, skip San Diego one year and go. It is easier to get into, and it's definitely more eclectic. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh yeah, I need know, like five different cons put in a blender. And, you know, uh, one thing everybody was saying about Comic-Con this year in San Diego was fewer cosplayers. And, um, yeah, that seems the to be the case. And, and Dragon Con is like Lollapalooza for con- for costumes, uh, correct? It It is. So uh, having been to Dragon Con, one interesting thing about it is that they have many different types of programming tracks. So that's why I say it's like a bunch of different cons in a blender. So there's one that is pretty much nothing but geek interest music. Of one variety or another. (laughs) Um, Everything from, like, obscure death metal bands that will, you know, occasionally sing about Tolkien to, uh, you know, outright filkers just under the stairway. Oh, my God. Openly filking under the stairway. Jeebus. And and, um, to, you know, a a cosplay track that's just nothing but cosplay. People who – I mean, you can join as many tracks as you want. But if you wanted to, you could have a whole – Megacon and be busy every hour of the day doing nothing but cosplay stuff. Uh, yeah. And they have Dragon Con TV, which they have a TV channel in the hotels of the convention, which. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which has, which covers, so what it'll do is, so like the costume <laughs> contest will be on the TV in your room. Wow. So. Wow, that's pretty organized. Yeah, so the costume, the, the, the uh, masquerade, which is the big costume thing, um, it, it takes up like a massive ballroom of people just there to watch it. People who might otherwise have had nothing to do with cosplay. Um, people are watching it in their rooms, having watch parties while getting drunk. Um, it's, it's a lot of things happen in rooms there. Yeah, right? it's, it's, it's massive. It's massive. You will see drunken stormtroopers, I guarantee you. <laughs> and uh, it's it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. definitely. Whatever well, maybe one day we'll into, get the Dragon Con. It there, for example, the uh, supernatural track people and the skeptic track people get into it on the regular. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, there's many, many things in the world. I, you know, one thing about San Diego Comic Con, I want to just throw in there: the comics programming is still one of the, oh, yeah. you know, best in the North America, if not the world. I mean, there's no other show that has so many, such a wide range of guests, so many uh, really thoughtful panels, really high level panels uh, with people you will not see anywhere else. Um, it's high and, level and in great quantity. Yeah, it is. And, Dozens you know, of panels. I, 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 I should say, you know, it was a very momentous Comic-Con for me. It had the party, had the Friends of Lulu anniversary panel, which, you know, we'd been talking about for mm. six months, meant a lot to do that. And then at the end of the Friends of Lulu panel, the panel that followed us in that room was a panel that I've long wondered about. It was the ball-jointed doll panel. So I finally <laughs> got to see those people up close. And, uh, so, All right. Yeah, it was very momentous. 
it's, there you go. Well, <laughs> it's a big tent at uh, Comic-Con. <laughs> yeah. To uh, be sure. So, Could I so just mention one very quickly? Um, the Hall of Fame uh, elections of Jeanette Kahn and yes. Paul Levitt, uh, former uh, uh, presidents and publishers of DC Comics. I thought it was appropriate that they both were elected to the Hall of Fame. Um, yes. Uh, Paul worked for Jeanette, and Jeanette was a totally – boy, what a pioneer uh, as an yeah. executive uh, running DC Comics. Um, uh, so I, I, that, I just thought that was a very notable, um, um, uh, addition to the Will Eisner Hall of Fame. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So Calvin, speaking of Hall of Fame, uh, PW has had oh, some yeah. parts of its own. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we do, uh, PW Star Watch. Uh, this is, uh, a PW's effort to identify people in the book, in the vast, uh, uh, landscape of, of American book publishing. Uh, who are doing uh, pioneering things, interesting things, showing leadership, um, you know, just showing the way forward in uh, publishing. And they pick 50 honorees every year from big and small publishing, and then they pick five, a top five, and then one of them, of the top five, is going to be dubbed Superstar, the PW Superstar, and they will get a a free trip to the Frankfurt Book Fair and lots of, you know, Fun stuff. So, uh, so this year was a real comics, uh, really a comics heavy, uh, Star Watch honorees. Um, wow. yeah. And the beat of the story, and I need to look up really quickly to see who everybody who was in it. <laughs> uh, but I will tell you right off the bat who are two people who are in it is, uh, Kwanzaa Sievo, uh, the co-founder and editor and writer of Black, mm -hmm. uh, the crowdfunded series that was, uh, what I think Black Mask was publishing mm -hmm. it yeah. for a time. Uh, and, uh, the formidable and the, uh, uh, acclaimed editor, writer, uh, and visionary, Tanika Stotts, um, uh, who, uh, one of the co-founders of Beyond Press, uh, who's kind of led to, you know, certainly one of the leaders out there doing, uh, LGBTQ and queer, uh, material, finding, creating platforms for queer artists. Uh, she was an, uh, also a Star Wars honoree. But there are others. Yeah, I know Ivy Weir from Quirk yes. Books, uh, author of Archival Quality, which uh, the Dwayne McDuffie Award winner this year. I know she was one of them as well, and I've known Ivy for quite a while. She is indeed a star to watch. Uh, oh, G uh, Gina Gagliano. Oh, how could we forget? Yes. <laughs> yes of yes. Uh, Random House. And Margot Atwell of Kickstarter. So. Yes, yes, who was the director of publishing <laughs> yeah. and has been an incredible yeah. friend of comics publishing. I'm there. sure we just couldn't remember yeah. them because they're everywhere. They're so yeah. ubiquitous. That, but you, you know, know, the Beat story actually uh, had a number of other people who I actually didn't know were in the comics people, but had their day jobs. You know, they're either comics people, uh, but their day jobs put them, you know, uh, in the book publishing industry. And I think yeah. Ivy's, Ivy's a uh, publicist or marketing manager, I think, yeah. at, what, at Quirk Books. Uh, so congrats to them all. Um, and, um, you know, the Star Watch is getting better. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, the bottom line, I think, Calvin, you touched on something. I know we have a couple of minutes here. Just, um, you know, graphic novels and Books are really completely taking over the comics industry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. The book trade and the book format, uh, in, in my, uh, you know, one note-ish opinion, uh, is driving this industry forward into the, over the next 50 years, uh, and will make itself felt, felt, without a doubt. Well, it makes, it makes sense because yeah. it's not so much that there's a diaspora of people out who are like, oh, I don't want to go to a comic shop anymore. No. 
it's that these are people who never were comic shop people, people who are bookstore people who have discovered one way or another graphic novels, either through, you know, childhood interest or just through happening upon it and being yeah. like, hey, this is amazing. These are people who are bookstore people. And there are a lot more bookstore people than there are comic store people. Right. And yep. so if yep. you can snatch up and share some of those people with the book market, suddenly you have more customers. I mean, it's a- just no brainer. And of course, that, of <laughs> well, course I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing generations now because of this explosion yeah. of publishing in the, the, the kids and the YA book format marketplace. We, we've got a generation that's going to growing up that's used to going to bookstores to buy their comics. Well, and it makes sense, right? Because I remember being a kid who wanted comics long before I was old enough to drive. And, you know, it took some serious convincing to get my mother to go to a comic store mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. as a mother who was not interested in comics. I mean, some others are, but she wasn't. Yeah. Um, but the bookstore, she liked books. She'd go to a bookstore, and she'd buy me things at a bookstore. And I don't think I was alone in that as a kid. <laughs> I think there are a lot more kids who have parents who go to bookstores or grandparents who go to bookstores than have parents or grandparents who go to comic stores. So if the kid can't drive, that's where you're going <laughs> to get the comics. That's uh, exactly. I think that's – the deal it's simple geography yeah <laughs> and um you know who was i talking to um you know i was talking to uh, josh frankel a friend of the podcast and um you know he's kind of been a lot of things in the history of z2 comics but he's uh, started doing these these music graphic novels you mm-hmm. know they're, they're they're graphic novels that are based on various popular musicians he did uh baby metal very huge mm-hmm. japanese yeah. band um he did uh paul uh Okenfold, uh dj just did poppy uh, and yeah, and he, know, they've got the you know um, um, oh god I'm forgetting never mind go on I'm forgetting yeah anyway, yeah, yeah Grateful he, Dead he's doing he's the Grateful Dead just, yeah he's doing a Grateful I, Dead graphic right, they're doing a Grateful Dead one but you know he doesn't sell through comic shops you know I mean he sells a few but he yeah, sells through but, bookstores he sells through you know at concerts and through all you know different different places different yeah. distribution channels and you know funky clothing stores yes absolutely he sells them through Hot Topic. And so that's really, um, you know, people are doing it. People are figuring out different ways to get comics uh, into the hands. And I think everybody goes different places to get things now, too, because the whole shopping experience is so different now than it was even 10 years ago, you know, thanks to Amazon and online. But, um, you know, yeah, there's, um, I I mean, you know, looking at what's happening in D.C. is, of course, sobering, and as it's one of the twin pillars of, of what we know as the comics industry, but... You know, nobody is saying that comics will die if DC gets major changes. Yeah. Yeah. It, no. it just means I mean, that maybe we won't love these major changes, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, sure. we don't have to love everything in this universe. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So that is correct. <laughs> yeah. So on that ominous note, <laughs> no, comics are here to stay. They're not. Comics yet. are here to stay. You know, DC and, is another and question. So are we. <laughs> yes. But as far as the news goes, there will always be more. To come.